Welcome to this first episode of the Drone News Podcast, and um, I am your co-host, Greg Reverdio with Pilot Institute, and we have two other co-hosts. We have Kara Murphy and Haya Kesterloo, and uh, today we are going to give you a little bit of background about ourselves and uh, tell you more about what we do in the aviation industry, how we get to be in the aviation industry. Before I go any further, I want to introduce Kara. Uh, Kara Murphy, please uh, tell us like real quick a little bit more about yourself and and what you do in the uh, industry. Okay, so I am first and foremost a remote pilot, um, basically an aerial videographer and photographer. I'm also a contributing writer for DP Review and Inner Drone. And um, I also, I finally, I sell my prints on my site called Aerial Print Shop. So those are my uh, three, those are the three prongs of my own business that I've been running for the past few years. And for those of you that are listening, I'm sure you have uh, read at one point a, a Kara Murphy article somewhere online because uh, Kara publishes a lot of really up-to-date information about technology. Uh, she actually had some information recently about the new uh, FPV drone, so you can uh, see a different perspective. I, I liked your article, Kara, because it was it was a different take uh, from what I had seen on the other article. So that was um, that was great. I appreciate that. I always try to um, find something that not everyone else is talking about. Um, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Yep. And our third co-host is Haya Kesterlo, and uh, Haya is with Drone Excel. So Haya, tell us a little bit more. For those of you that follow uh, the the Pilot Institute news update, uh, we had Haya on our show in the past talking about the FPV drone, actually. So Haya, all yours. Yeah, thank you, Greg. Um, yeah, I think uh, some of the listeners might actually know me uh, from years ago from Drone DJ, where I got started covering uh, news in the drone industry. Uh, about a year ago, I left Drone DJ to start my own site, as it gives me a little bit more flexibility, and that's called uh, DroneXL.co or .co. Uh, it's a site that basically covers all kinds of drone news, ranging from rumors from DJI products all the way to FAA regulation, uh, cinematic um, um, drone photography, and uh, videos. And yeah, we try to cover as much as we can within the drone industry and we're actively building on expanding our team and basically being able to cover the different aspects of the of the drone industry in more detail outstanding and uh, as for me, Greg Riverdio, uh, I'm with Pilot Institute. We provide uh, training, online training for drone pilots, airplane pilots. And this is pretty much what I've done my whole life. I love uh, training people. I love sharing my knowledge. And um, this is what we do. So uh, the, what I wanted to do today, actually, with this podcast is I, I always play this game when I meet somebody in aviation and I said, what's your aviation story? And uh, when you go around people that are in aviation, they love to talk about their aviation story and their aviation background. So this is what I want to do today with you guys. I want to learn more about what you do. I know some of what you've done in the past, but I'm sure I don't know everything. And uh, kind of how, how did you get interested in, in getting into drones and aviation in general? And uh, Kara, let's uh, get started with you. Oh, thank you. So I don't have a traditional aviation background, to be quite honest. I worked in the music industry for many years. Um, I took a detour into creative tech publishing and then ended back up in music and tech working at RDO and BitTorrent. Um, at the time, I went to a lot of live music concerts and I met a prolific blogger at Coachella back in 2009. And at the time I had a point and shoot camera um, and I was able to capture these photos of artists performing live that she put on the blog. Um, they went viral. And so from there, my interest in regular photography 
um, was ignited. And so I had some friends, Terry and Andre, who had lent me their Nikon body and lenses. Um, I continued on the festival circuit. And after a few years, though, uh, between that and doing events, I just got a little bit bored of photography. I felt like I was capturing the same angles as pretty much every other photographer in the pit. And I had mastered that equipment. And then a friend of mine, Nate Boltron, had posted a top-down image of Martha's Vineyard that he had taken with a DJI Phantom 1 and he had affixed a GoPro to it. And I just, I thought that was so amazing and it was a unique perspective. And so my friend, Eddie Codell, who I had worked on um, Flying Robot International Film Festival with, um, we hadn't done it at the time, it was still 2014. Um, he had a Phantom 1. And if anyone remembers the Phantom 1, that was not an easy drone to fly. DJI has come such a long way since then. But um, he lent me it. I remember writing him a check for $600 and losing the drone on its third flight. And so I was a little bit discouraged. Um, I hadn't put the GoPro on it yet. So at least I wasn't out of GoPro, but um, the drone was lost. And it took until um, 2015, a year later, where I bought the DJI Phantom 2 Vision Plus and started flying that in Iceland. And from there, Eddie connected with me and he said, hey, I want to do the world's first international drone film festival. I need your help with marketing and getting the word out. So we did that. We had two showings um, that were sold out. And from there, I just started taking photographs. I just loved it. And the moment I knew that aerial photography was going to be a completely different career trajectory for me compared to just regular photography was when I took a top down of Lombard Street and I had dozens of people messaging me, how do I buy a print of this? How do I get this? I had never had that. Um, and that was a crazy moment because I didn't have a print shop um, or a website where that could have been for sale. And all these San Francisco blogs were covering the image and um, but from there, uh, I did photography, and then I started consulting with Drone Deploy. Um, they hired me on to help build their community. And so um, from there, I've been doing marketing for brands, writing, but then also getting out with brands like Intel, brands big and small, and doing remote pilot work. Um, I've gone to football camps and flown my drone in close proximity to students who um, are getting ready to... Um, get recruited to college teams, um, just a lot of different adventures, but it's something that I never get tired of. Um, even though I don't do um, mapping or more sophisticated, or I do inspections, but I don't do mapping or some of the more, um, or search and rescue, some of the more sophisticated um, applications, but I am amazed at how useful drones are and um, how the industry continues to grow and how, um, I even read the other day, Justin Bieber is using an FPV drone in his music video. You know, people are starting to catch on um, to just how many different uses drones have um, in the uh, industry, in the world. So, um, yeah, basically, I just got started. It started with a photo and it's just gone from there. Um, opportunities have just come and I've taken on the ones that have made sense. And it's um, I had a 
conversation with my friend Sharon Rossmark because um, she had battled breast cancer and I had battled colon cancer in 2019. And we talked about how um, having meaningful work in the drone industry actually helped us push through um, a challenging at a challenging moment in our life, uh, in our lives. So that's um, that's something else I can say about the work I do is that it's just a new challenge every day, but it's exciting, and um, I can't wait to see what happens in the next decade um, in the drone industry. Oh, that's that is for sure. I've I've been saying this for a while now. You know, the we're if we look at the history of of the UAS industry, we're right there at week one of where we need to be. You know, compared to everything else. So the next decade, the next two years are going to be amazing. The next decade, I can't even uh, begin to foresee what where we're going to be. And this is something that we need to do. Actually, I I, I do want to do an episode on this in the future. Uh, some of you may be asking, you know, why are we all meeting together here to talk about these topics? Uh, this this podcast is going to be design because we want to talk about the news update, the, everything that goes on in this industry, and uh, kind of give you more of a personal perspective about what is going on in the uh, in the world of uh, UAS. So this is what we'll be doing for the next episodes in the future. Uh, you know, you mentioned that this is a non-traditional approach to aviation for you, but I feel like this is how a lot of people get into aviation is is by having this this one thing where they have this one experience of uh, of being next to a drone, an airplane, and then all of a sudden they. they catch the bug this is something that uh, you know the, the aviation bug once you catch it then uh, it's really difficult to get rid of it so and it's uh, it's a good bug it's a uh, it's a good way to do it so uh hi <laughs> hi what about you what's your your background in aviation where did it start uh for me it's a couple of different things that basically bring me to drones uh for one i grew up windsurfing and sailing and the first time in my early 20s uh, when i had a chance to get on board of a, a glider airplane uh, i realized how flying a glider airplane was basically like three-dimensional sailing right you get this this third dimension added into the mix and for me that was uh, my first eye-opener um, what aviation could feel like and what it could mean and of course i've been in bigger airplanes traveling prior to that but that's nowhere near the same uh, experience as you get when you're on a, a glider uh, airplane uh, i had something similar a few years uh, after that um, with parasailing was the same experience was just amazing so i always had that fascination with with flying um, Next to that, uh, I was always interested uh, as a hobbyist, basically, and later more professional as well, into photography. So once drones came out and now you're able to take that camera and position it anywhere in the air and get shots that otherwise just you wouldn't be able to, uh, to achieve, uh, that totally opened my eyes. And for me, um, I, I got a little later into actually buying drones, but just the fact that you could have a camera and position it anywhere in the air and just get shots from, from any angle, uh, that totally blew me away. So that was really cool. Uh, uh, that's definitely what got my interest uh, into drones and then professionally I was always involved in internet marketing for small medium-sized businesses so a lot of what I did professionally had to do with storytelling uh, using video using photography um, to basically promote somebody's business and at some point um, this was back in 2016, I think. I met Seth Weintraub, who's the, the guy behind 9to5Mac and Electric. And he actually happens to live in the same town where I live. We have uh, mutual friends, so we're having this dinner party. And I didn't even know who he was at the time. And I found out uh, what he did and uh, the sites that he managed. So we started talking. And at some point, the conversation went to drones. And like five minutes later, I was like, all right, we need to start a drone website and uh, follow the news in the drone industry, especially because 
if you were interested in drones at the time, and I'm talking now 2016, 2017, you could already see that uh, a lot of very cool things were going to be able to be done with drones. And I think specifically in terms of search and rescue, you see how drones can add value and, and literally save people's lives. Uh, back then, that was, I think, really early days. But um, Seth and I realized that drones could be a very cool topic since it's such a fast growing and fast uh, developing industry to uh, to build a news website around and that's how back then in 2017 we started drone dj uh in april last year i left uh drone dj to start drone excel uh, basically because i was i like to try out different things and see what works best and just yeah uh have more freedom in terms of um making changes to a website and with drone dj we were more stuck to whatever format worked for the bigger websites which made a lot of sense but it didn't give me really the freedom to uh, to do that with drone uh, with drone dj that i wanted so that's when uh, i decided to uh, to leave drone dj and start drone excel but yeah i think that drones is one of the most um interesting industries right now to be covering as there's so many different ways that drones are being very useful very helpful uh saving people's lives also helping in uh in optimizing other industries for instance if you look now with corona and COVID 19 uh if you take a look at um, uh, the different like zipline for instance how they're using drones to to make vaccine deliveries uh, in otherwise uh, hard to reach and remote areas you can see how drones have this uh, yeah massive potential and i think to to cover that is interesting i think a lot of people find it very interesting and that's basically what uh, what motivates me to uh, to keep going with drone excel awesome well, that's a really cool background the fact you know this one meeting with this one person making this big change for you uh, starting a website and then uh, and doing this for a living that's pretty cool um, as far as uh, my background my background is is aviation flight training that's pretty much what I've done my whole life um, I started when I was a kid you know when I was four or five years old I was telling my parents I want to be an airline pilot uh, my uh, my uncle was an airline pilot for South, for Northwest he was uh, flying 747s and he was kind of the the one that gave me that bug of of aviation and I always wanted to be like him I wanted to be an airline pilot and fly 747s uh, so um, and when I was a kid my, my dad was in the Air Force in the French Air Force I grew up in France and um, he was on base all the time and on, on Wednesdays I would go to uh, the Air Force base with him and I remember just waiting on a taxiway to get to his office and then you would see a, a Mirage airplane just driving by the equivalent of the the F-16 uh, in the U.S. and uh, and just seeing these airplanes flying around all the time that was just you know the seed that I needed to uh, to want to do this so uh, so I went to school I came to the U.S. to be an airline pilot I did all my training became a commercial pilot uh, became a fly instructor did this for a while and then uh, right around that time 9-11 happened and 9-11 uh, as you may imagine kind of put a big damper on uh, jobs and especially jobs for someone like me who wasn't a U.S. citizen. So I had to kind of go a different route. I went into the management route. Um, I did uh, all the jobs that I could for the university that I was at and I ended up working for them for 13 years and managing the flight training program there and uh, making my way up. And uh, at one point I had a boss and I love telling that story because it was kind of a, 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 a telling of what was going to happen in the industry in the future. Uh, at the time, we were competing with UND and Embry-Riddle and the big universities out there. And uh, UND had started a drone program. And this was probably 2010, 2012, around that time, before DJI was even in the picture, you know, doing the Phantom 1 like you were talking about. 
And I remember telling my boss, we need to start a drone program here at our university because it's going to be too late by the time UND takes over the entire world. Uh, they had so much equipment. They were doing a lot of military uh, drones at the time. And, uh, and my boss at the time, was uh, he was a former astronaut. He, the guy had gone in space and he had uh, several space missions in the space shuttle. Really cool. Just amazing background. And he said uh, he didn't believe in drones. He was, uh, he was an F-16 pilot and he believed in uh, manned aircraft. And uh, so we never did. We never did this thing. So eventually I left the school. I wanted uh, to be in charge of my own school. So I, um, I managed a flight school in Arizona for a few years. And there I was starting a drone program. And eventually I said, you know what, let me do this by myself. That was, um, I, I had bought a drone in 2014 and Kara, it's funny you mentioned this, the, the Phantom 1 with the camera and, and uh, having to put, I bought this gimbal on eBay, Chinese gimbal that you would put it into the Phantom 1 and then put the GoPro on it. Uh, I did all this. And then I went to the Grand Canyon. I live an hour and a half away from the Grand Canyon. And at the time, there was no training out there. There was 2014. Nobody was talking about what you could and couldn't do about drones. So I flew my drone in the Grand Canyon. And you can imagine what happened next. Uh, I had, uh, I had, I get pulled over. Uh, somebody reported it. And I had no idea. Quite frankly, I had no idea. I wasn't trying to be nefarious or anything. Um, and, uh, and I get a ticket. I think I got a ticket for 50 or 60 bucks because I was flying my drone in the Grand Canyon. And from here, I, I, I got to thinking. I was like, if I... A trained pilot can't even figure out the fact that we can't fly in the Grand Canyon. There's a, a lack somewhere of education. And that's when I, I get the idea of, of, hey, how can we help drone pilots to do this kind of stuff? So all these things that had happened in my life before that, uh, the fact that UND was starting their big drone program and drones were really like in the news all the time, uh, I saw the opportunity to help uh, educate people. So I did my first drone course for Part 107 in 2016 when it came out, and then eventually uh, built uh, Pilot Institute with my business partner. And uh, the rest is history. We've been uh, we've been just going strong ever since. But it, it's interesting that we all have this one thing that that made us really interested about either drones or aviation, and then all of a sudden this is what you want to do because it's it's just so captivating. And uh, I, I remember when I got interested in aviation, I always thought, man, I would have loved to be one of the pioneers and be out there in one of those airplanes for the first flights, for the first you know cross country, first whatever. And now we have the ability to do this in this industry. We have the ability to be the first at doing something and be, you know, one of the pioneer. I don't know if you guys feel that way, but to me, there's a core group of, of people or companies that are kind of changing the world of, of uh, UAS as we see it. What do you think about that? Yeah, if I can uh, chip in here. I mean, uh, I rem for me... Personally, uh, a big interest was having that camera up in the air. And I remember seeing those first videos where you had snowboarders and skiers jumping off those big uh, jumps on ski slopes and having an FPV drone circle around them and basically get the footage as these guys are spinning through the air. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, that's it. That's what's going to be, in, let's say, in the next James Bond video, where not only are you watching action take place, but your point of view is action in itself and circles around the subject. And I remember first seeing that, I was like, holy shit, this is, this is what you can do with drones. And like I said, my personal interest in drones was always the photography, photography and videography aspect of it. But seeing those shots is like, yes, that's that's what you that's the best way to showcase action by having a camera that actually circles around the action and uh, puts you in that same spot as a viewer. I thought that was amazing. So, yeah, my first paid commercial remote pilot job was um, I was 
taking photos of the Embarcadero Towers in San Francisco. They're roughly 750 feet tall, but just flying downtown in this urban setting and just narrowly in between these buildings, I realized this isn't something a small plane or helicopter could get to. And yep, yeah. so um, I realized that a big use, um, it, and also just it's, it's less expensive. If you were to charter a helicopter, if you think of hiring a pilot and the gas and just the wear and tear right. on a machine like that, and also the risk involved. Um, I've never flown in a helicopter. I don't think I really want to. Maybe I've just read too many statistics, but I know they have their uses too. People get airlifted all the time to hospitals. There's a use for everything. But as far as really getting in narrow spaces or just getting unique angles, um, a drone can do that much better than a small plane or a helicopter. So that's where I just, I saw the use in all that. No, I was just going to say, Kara brings up a good point because for instance, if you look at uh, wildlife researchers, uh, a lot of those guys use small airplanes and helicopters. And actually there's been quite a few accidents where people lost their lives because of it. And uh, again, with the drone, you cause a lot less disturbance. You can get much, much closer. You're uh, not running into the same expenses. And of course it's a lot safer. I mean, drones are, are always expendable, whereas the pilot and a camera guy, uh, yeah, that's a whole different ball game. So I hear you there. Now, I was just going to say, whenever you see um, this serene top-down image of, um, you know, just, you can never get a, a lake image or anything on water like surfers with a helicopter because the blades, you know, the chopper would, would cause a disturbance, a ripple effect on the surface of the water. So that's somewhere else where drones really excel. Um, anyway, that, that was just a thought that came to my mind. <laughs> Yep. When, when I was a, a student in, uh, in flight school, they always told us about 1% of the population ever gets to fly an airplane, to, to be a pilot and fly an airplane. And I, I realized once you had the drones that you could get that same perspective. I remember being a flying instructor and sitting in the right seat. And when your students are good enough, you can just sit in the right seat and kind of look around and let them do their thing. And you kind of just a passenger sitting there. And I just always remember looking outside and just enjoying the view from, from being high up in the air. And when the drones came on board, you could do that without spending you know hundreds of dollars on on renting an airplane you just had the ability to get that that point of view and and flying is just such a cool feeling to be up there and now you can bring this with your camera and being able to see it and, and this is just incredible so the, that one percent of the population that could become a pilot all of a sudden it's like now everyone can have that point of view and and see things differently an interesting example Example, perhaps also here is uh, George Steinmetz, the uh, photographer here in New York that I know Kara uh, covered as well when he got himself into a little bit of trouble. Uh, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, uh, he basically built his career on aerial photography, and he would take a hang glider with a, a motorized hang glider uh, to uh, continents like Africa to get those aerial shots. And if you look at the photos that he took back then, that was groundbreaking because you weren't able to easily get those shots, and he used a uh, hang glider because it was something that he could bring along and was much easier to organize and having helicopters and airplanes those kind of images you can now take with a drone and yeah it's it opened up a whole new world for for many more people and i um i confess i'm afraid of heights so flying an unmanned aerial vehicle to get these shots is just so much more appealing <laughs> it is <laughs> he's great for getting on the hang glider there's a reason he has the career he has because yeah. he's willing to um take all the risks and i really admire him for it um and just the nicest guy i'm glad that um they they, they dropped the case though i'm really 
just an update. I'm glad to hear that because he's a really good guy and he needs to cover those COVID burials. And that, that's what photojournalism is all about, yeah. it, exposing the uncomfortable truths. So. Yeah. And for those of you that are not familiar with what we're talking about here, um, this photographer in New York was taking pictures of the uh, the burial sites on an island in New York. And, and Haya, you may know the name of the island. I don't. Uh, but the um, and, and then he got in trouble. Yeah, it's uh, it's called Heart Island, which I believe is officially part of the Bronx. So it's within the city limits, even though it's this is not in Manhattan or anything like that. It's way outside of uh, or on the border of New York City, basically. But officially, you're not allowed to take off and land with an aircraft within the city limits. And that includes drones and it also includes the Bronx. So George Steinmetz, he flew his drone from City Island, which is part of the Bronx, uh, across the, the Long Island Sound to Heart Island. And Heart Island is an interesting island as well, because I think there's over a million people that have been buried there uh, during the last couple of hundred years even so people that uh, where they wouldn't able uh, weren't able to trace their uh, any relatives um, typically were buried there and apparently a lot of uh, COVID victims ended up being buried there as well so it was definitely a newsworthy story uh, however him flying from within the city limits uh, yeah made it an uh, an offense I guess so he got into a little bit of trouble but ultimately like Kara pointed out the case was dropped and he, I think he even got his drone back so he's in good shape again but uh, yeah, New York is an interesting place to fly. It's uh, it's not easy to fly in New York City at all. Well, I think the um, the upside of him getting busted, well, not busted, but um, of what happened and just the press that it got is that um, they are now working on legislation because I think everyone can agree that the laws are not only confusing in the greater New York's um, city area, but they're draconian and they're way too much. And, and it's, it's an old... It's a very old rule. Uh, it's an it's called Aviate, right? It's the Aviate law uh, of of New York, and that's that's applied to drones because drones can fly. But really, it was never really intended for drones. So yeah, if you if you live in New York, uh, dif difficult place to fly, and make sure that you know where you're flying so you don't get in trouble. Uh, this is a question we get actually very often from our students: is where can I fly in New York? So if you have good spots, uh, hi, make sure you share them. You should do an article on that, sharing the best spots to fly in New York, the safe spots to fly in New York. We have, and there's uh, there's only five designated parks where you're allowed to fly. None of them are within uh, Manhattan itself, which of course, that's where people want to fly their drones. Now, of course, Manhattan also is not a great spot to be flying. Uh, a lot of high rises, a lot of uh, gusty, windy conditions, uh, issues with uh, GPS interference as well. So if you were going to fly in uh, New York City, you better know what you're doing. Uh, however, it's, uh, it's illegal to fly in New York City itself uh, because of this uh, rule, which I think is seven years old by now. Um, the only way you potentially could do it would be from the water, from a boat, or from uh, the Jersey Shore, basically across the Hudson River. But then you still have to factor in things like line of sight and all that good stuff. So it's it's not easy to fly in New York at all. Uh, however, on the flip side, uh, just to give you an example, New York City, they need to... Um, monitor i think the exterior of buildings every five years uh that's a requirement to make sure that all the um the fascia of the building is in good shape and it was a year or two years ago when actually a piece of a building broke off fell down close to times square and hit an architect on her head and she actually died as a result now currently to inspect these buildings they have to put up scaffolding and it's all manual inspection basically so they do use things like telescopes and binoculars but for the most part they build up scaffolding that stays up for years and you have uh, engineers go up there and inspect these buildings 
buildings. Now, if you know anything about drones, that's an obvious use case where, of course, drones would make a lot of sense. It could be done much cheaper, much safer, and much faster. Uh, this is currently something that's being discussed in New York City to see if drones can be uh, can be made legal for this kind of work. Uh, however. Going back to, let's say, the typical tourist who wants to get some awesome pictures of, uh, of Times Square with a drone, that will probably be a, a bad idea going forward anyway, no matter what happens with uh, the legal situation there. Yeah, lots of uh, moving vehicles, lots of people out there. And we will do an episode on uh, moving, uh, flying over people and flying over moving vehicles because that's a, that's a big one that's coming up with the new regulation. And we'll get to the new regulation in a minute as well. Uh, I, I had a question for the group. Uh, first drone, what was your first drone? The first one that I actually bought myself, um, not paying a $600 check to a friend because I lost his his DJI Phantom 1, um, I got the DJI Phantom 2 Vision Plus. Um, and I remember it had kind of that fisheye effect on all the photos and video I took. So there's a lot of post-processing there. Um, didn't have very good range. The Phantom 3 Pro felt like a big step up. And then the Phantom 4, um, the Phantom 4 Pro I've had for quite a long time. I'm going to be curious to see what DJI does because they released the Phantom 4 Pro, um, gosh, like back in September, 2016, I want to say. Yeah. Yep. yeah, it's an old drone, but it's, it's still one of the most useful. I like my Mavic 2 Pro as well, but, um, you know, the Phantom 2 Pro and the version 2 uses a full sensor, um, still really good for inspections. Oh, yeah. and it's a workhouse, for sure. So is that what you fly mostly now, Kara, the, the 2 Pro and then uh, Phantom 4? Uh, yeah, so um, that Mavic 2, um, I may be using um, my Mavic 2 Pro for inspection tomorrow um, that I'm, that I'm um, tasked with. So, yeah, um, th those are basically it. And then I'm looking forward to Sony's AirPeak drone that's supposed to come yeah. out this spring. But um, either that or, or an Inspire 3, I'm looking to level up um, in this coming year and get that. I just always thought the Inspire 1 or Inspire 2 um, were just a little bit too big to travel with. Um, and they don't have the same range. Um, I've talked about this with friends who do a lot of urban flights, especially in the Chicago area. Um, we sometimes scale Willis Tower with our Phantom 4s or our Mavic 2s. You cannot do that with an Inspire. So just something that has an interchangeable lens, but is just more compact and has um, a better or a longer range, I think, um, would be really good to invest in. So I'm looking forward to what any commercial um, drone manufacturer has to release because it, it needs to head in that direction. I agree. The interchangeable lens is, is a big seller for me. Um, I fly the Inspire 2. That's actually probably my favorite drone in terms of videography, just because of the quality you get out of it. I got four lenses for it, and it is just such a such beautiful end product. I love going with the, the very wide 233 to 1 ratio and get really wide uh, videos out of it. But, um, you know, I fly, I've got pretty much all the DJI products sitting on my shelf right here because we test them for students. We create courses for students on those drones. So, uh, 
from the, the Mavic Mini, the Mini 2, the Mini 2. Uh, well, I have a special version that I'm going to not say anything about right now, but I'll be testing it very soon. And then uh, Mavic Air 2 and then Mavic 2 Pro, Mavic 2 Zoom. Basically, we have the whole lineup. Uh, I love actually the Mavic Air 2. I was really impressed by that drone when it came out. Uh, the Mavic 2 Pro is also probably my, my second. If I don't have to travel and I have a big backpack for my Inspire 2 that I can mount the drone on the back of it and then just go and hike with it because that's what I do a lot. And uh, But otherwise, I take the, the Mavic 2 Pro as my, my main drone, I would say. Um, how about you, Haya? What was your first drone? First drone was the Mavic Pro. And it was funny because I was kind of waiting for the whole drone thing to be kind of figured out and get like a package that was ready to fly and uh, required less uh, less work from uh, the operator, basically, to get it uh, to operate properly. Uh, so when gopro announced their karma i was like oh this is interesting because it was a foldable drone i figured gopro they know what they're doing in terms of uh, video footage as well so i actually had my finger on the trigger to buy that one what september 2016 and then i think two or three days later dji came out with their mavic pro and uh, that's when i switched and i got the uh, the mavic pro which turned out to be a, a much better a much better drone than the uh, than the karma of course uh since then i've pretty much had all the dji products uh, luckily they keep sending me their drones so uh that's definitely a benefit. Um, as you said, the Mavic Air 2, I think, is a great drone in terms of an all-round drone and, and value for money. Uh, I'm also a big fan of the Mini 2 because internationally, if you're traveling, I think that thing is awesome. Uh, three little batteries, you fly for an hour and a half almost, you can take it anywhere. Uh, so if, if I'm on the road, uh, it's, it's super easy to take that one. Um, however, my favorite drone right now is going to be the, uh, the FPV guy, uh, this guy, because one, it's easy to fly still, and two, you get those cinematic shots that I was talking about earlier, where you get that perspective from actually being on board of an aircraft yourself. And uh, to me, that was always the biggest draw. So being able to fly that drone is, uh, has been amazing. And yeah, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to where things are going to go from here, because I feel that the drones that we have nowadays are so reliable and so easy to fly and have such, uh, yeah, not just distance in terms of range, but also just the quality of the video feed that you get. So um, to think that we're only at the beginning of drone industry and the drone development, and uh, let's say imagine five years from now where things will be, it's just, it's, uh, yeah, it blows my mind basically. It's amazing. Yeah. Do you guys remember the Lily yeah. drone? Yeah. <laughs> not so good. <laughs> so. So that was, I, I had an order for that. And uh, and then, so the Lily came out with the concept. For those of you that are not familiar, the Lily was this drone that was going to do what the uh, the Skadio 2 is doing now, which is follow everyone everywhere very quickly, very easily. And um, and it was vaporware. It never went anywhere. So I had my order. I think it was, I don't remember the price actually, but they had it... Uh, it was a Kickstarter, I think, special. And uh, yeah. and I had given them, I think it was 500 bucks maybe as a Kickstarter. And it, it, it basically went nowhere. And I got my money back right on time before they actually folded the company. So I was lucky on that. And right around that time, GoPro came out with a Karma that you were saying, Haya. So I almost bought one of those. And sure enough, two weeks later, I think uh, DJI came up with uh, the Mavic Pro. Yeah. So I did get the Mavic Pro as well as, uh, as my first Mavic uh, in that case. But yeah, that was really interesting. The, uh, you know, when, when uh, Skydio came up with their promo, I looked at this thing and I said, wow, this is the Lily all over again, just following you. It was supposed to follow you everywhere you went mm -hmm. and do these cinematic shots. And looking back, we should have known it was going to be a vaporware, but that was, uh, that was the dream. They were selling you the dream. That was in 20, probably 2014, 20, I don't remember, 20. Yeah. That was uh, yeah. later, yeah. 
Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, so that was... The Skydio cool. uh, R1. I saw that for the first time, I think it was January 2018, when uh, there was an, the New York uh, Drone Film Festival. And they uh, they had one uh, part of it taking place in uh, in New Jersey, right across the, the river, basically, from Manhattan. And the team from Skydio was there. Adam Bry was there. They had the Skydio R1. And basically, he launched it from his hands. The drone kind of flew away a couple of feet, turned around, and just kind of looked at us and just followed us. And... Seeing that happen all autonomously was uh, was pretty mind blowing at the time. It was uh, definitely awesome to see, and even though that drone was still kind of a prototype, if you will, um, compared to the Skydia too, but just to see the technology and how fast that developed was uh, yeah was awesome. Mm-hmm. I agree. <clears throat> you guys want to talk about? Oh, go ahead, Kara. I was gonna say I remember being at um, DJI's Mavic Pro launch event in New York City. One thing about COVID is I miss um, the big events DJI throws to introduce drones. But I remember it was two weeks after the Karma came out. And that's when it occurred to me that, you know, they're they're on top of it. Like, you know, I want I want to see them have competition, but um, they're still on top of it. Mm-hmm. And they're still going to protect um, their stake in it. So anyway, go on, Greg. So so do you guys think that uh, other companies, this, this is a question I get from a student that, that was asking me if I thought other companies are going to get into the FPV world now that DJI has done that. Do, do you think this is a market that, uh, to me personally, I think this is a huge market that uh, DJI is super smart getting into and, and getting an entry level FPV drone for somebody. Do you guys think somebody else is going to follow through and, uh, and get one? I would like to see, well, okay. So I think the DJI FPV drone, just something out of the box. That's something that the industry has needed because a lot of us don't like to solder. I tried soldering in 2012 when I was working at BitTorrent. There was a bunch of, you know, just hardcore nerds there and we had a soldering workshop and I just did not enjoy it. Um, People that like to tinker um, may pass on DJI's FPV drone. I'd say the only drawback um, is that if you do crash it, it's going to be hard to fix. You're going to be sending it in. I mean, that that's the drawback. So what I had put in my review is I'm surprised that they didn't build it with more resilient material, like some kind of carbon fiber, some a lighter frame. Um, James Van, what was his name? Um, James... Christensen, I believe. Um, he had that. Did you guys see that video? He used a Cinewoop drone and flew through the Bryant Bowl Park. Bowling Alley. Yeah. Bowling Alley. Yes, Bryant yeah. Bowl Park, Bryant Bowling Alley. Um, he used a Cinewoop drone. I like that a lot. Yeah. Um, just the fact, uh, just the way the propellers are designed, you can bounce off any um, walls or obstacles. When I tested the DJI Mini 1, I loved that propeller cage. And now I know that the DJI FPV drone has propeller guards. Um, I like the idea of a propeller cage because no matter what direction it's flying, if it collides with an object, it's it's going to rebound most likely um, if it's not going too fast. Do I see other companies getting into this? Possibly. Yeah. With um, maybe a another type of iteration, but I think um, people like the effect of um, flying FPV, but I don't think enough people know um, how complex it is, uh, just how difficult it is to fly FPV. Um, your hands are constantly yeah. in motion to maneuver, whereas you're traditionally flying a drone, you're shifting here and there, you know, tilting the camera, 
adjusting the altitude or direction, but FPV, you have to be constantly in motion. And so one of the next articles I'm gonna tackle for DP review is, this is the flight simulator I use. DJI has one, Drone um, Racing League connected me to theirs as well. I'm gonna go through both, but I think um, a lot of people just need to realize um, that you can't just go out and fly FPV just because you've flown drones because it's a completely different experience. And so the only um, thing I, that concerns me is that, and DJI makes it difficult to activate manual mode on purpose. When I first got it, I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll just switch on M and it'll go. No, it doesn't. You got to go into the goggles and go through a few steps and they do that on purpose. Um, but yeah, I, I think um, other companies are going to watch and see how it picks up and they may see that, hey, you know, you crash one of these things, it's going to go back. What can we build? And DJI may already be thinking about this right now. What can we build that if it does crash, um, that it may be easily fixable um, and someone doesn't need to solder or have the technical knowledge to you know, replace a motor. We, we just don't know, but I, I think it's going to surge in popularity just because it's fun and it's, it's going to, DJI's making it more mainstream. Oh, it's fun. It is so much fun to fly this thing. <laughs> it's just so much fun. But you know, I, I have a theory about this. I've seen a lot of people say this thing is, is gonna, not going to sustain a crash. And yeah, I agree with that. I think it's not designed as strong as the, the, the carbon frames and everything, but but it has the technology in there. You know, why do people crash when they fly FPV at first? They crash because they don't have the ability to pause and hover in case something happens. You lose control of the drone, especially in full manual mode, and all of a sudden, that's it, you, you crash the drone. Here, you have this pause button that you can go. I actually, I, I'm not an FPV guy. I've never really flown FPV, but I took mine, I went up, and I got it in manual mode, and I went up to 200 feet, and then I tried to mess around. And if something happened, boom, just press the pause button. If you're upside down, if you're inverted, you can recover then just push the pause button and it brings you back and then saves the day. So I think we're actually going to see probably fewer crashes that we see in typical FPV drones and uh, and having to do less repairs compared to... So I think the accident rate, if you want, of the, the DJI FPV compared to regular FPV is going to be a lot less because you have that ability to pause and, and hover. So I think it'll be interesting to see. I wasn't suggesting that there's going to be a ton of crashes. I think um, the point I was getting to was if you do crash. Yes. Yeah. If you do crash. You, you, can't, you can't simply just go repair it. It's, it's not that easy. That's what I meant. I yep. think, yeah, I put in a lot of safety features. They've implemented a lot of um, different safety features. So yeah, I, I wasn't suggesting that. I was just saying um, in the future though, there might be some, you know, they're going to come out with a version 2.0. Um, I'm an admin on drone community. I'm always reading the threads and I've heard a few people say, yeah, I'm going to wait for version 2.0 and see how they iterate on it. But for now, it's a phenomenal start. I think. Oh yeah, it is. I think it's uh, brilliantly smart from, uh, from DJI to get into FPV. I mean, I think, um, if you look at the FPV community, that's quite a sizable community in itself, right? But I mean, in order to, to be able to fly FPV, one, you need to, to figure out what components you need to buy. You need to put the whole thing together, solder it, tune it, make sure it flies. Um, a lot of people don't know where to start when it comes to FPV, based on my experiences talking with uh, with uh, drone enthusiasts uh, throughout the year uh, years. And then on top of it, flying an FPV drone isn't easy at all either. So it's quite a commitment, right? I mean, just building the FPV drone to start with and then learning to fly is quite a commitment. 
commitment. Whereas I think a lot of people just want that flying experience and may not necessarily want to get their, their hands involved in actually uh, making the drone. I think that's that's almost like a different kind of audience. So I think for, for DJI to open up that world and make it accessible for people who've never flown uh, an FPV drone, who have no interest in soldering and, and programming their drones themselves, I think it's brilliant. And uh, from a business perspective as well, I mean, yeah, okay, maybe these drones crash. I don't think DJI is going to care about that. They'll sell their care refresh plans. They'll sell new drones. They love it. So I don't think it's 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 a concern from them. Um, having flown the FPV drone now for a couple of weeks, uh, going back to a Mavic is almost boring because one, it's not as fast. Two, it's not as fun as fly. You can bank the turns like it's. Regular drones become boring all of a sudden when you know you have an FPV drone that's easy to fly, that's safe to fly. Like you pointed out, you can stop any crazy maneuvers right uh, in the middle of them and recover your drone in the middle of the air uh, without crashing it, without having any damage to it. So I think this drone is going to be super popular. Um, I think this one already flies so well that you don't really need to for, uh, wait for version 2.0. Uh, what I would like to see is DJI use the same technology with the goggles and, and all the quality that they have and, and uh, their transmission system. Them, but maybe make a, a DJI FPV Cinewoop or a mini version of it so that you can fly indoors like what Kara was pointing out with the drone alley video. I mean, that, then it's uh, safer, but also it'd be uh, a lot of fun. And uh, if those drones crash, it's, uh, it's not such a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Well, going back to your original question, Greg, about uh, any other drone manufacturers being able to pull this off, um, I'm not quite so sure if there are any companies out there right now that will be able to make a uh, FPV drone that's ready to fly out of the box. I mean, if you if you look at the uh, the other um, competition um, or other drone manufacturers trying to compete with DJI just on, let's say, the level of a Phantom or a Mavic drone. Um, there aren't really that many around either. I mean, yeah, you have the Skydio drone now, but it's not that you can pick from 10 different drones in the same price range with the same specs. Uh, really, you kind of end up with DJI in many cases. So um, to now see another drone manufacturer come in and actually make a uh, FPV drone that you can fly out of the box, I think is even uh, yet another step. I don't really see any company pulling that off as of yet. I had Back then I had high hopes for a GoPro, but we saw how much trouble they had. So. Um, I think DJI is still uh, on top of everything else uh, for I, now. I was I was really hoping you would you would say that uh, because I, I agree I completely agree with you I think that they've they've gone to the point now where they've made something easy to fly out of the box which which is which is spectacular because you can fly this FPV drone with having no experience until you flip it to manual mode and I think it's going to take a while for other companies to catch up yeah and this thing that's that's uh, that's a fun one too uh, the uh, the one hand uh, controller so Kara where were you going to say? I, I mean, I could see Skydio possibly being a challenger, but I also have seen Skydio and Parrot um, uh, pivot to more enterprise-related mm -hmm. yeah. solutions. So, yeah, that they may have decided that that's where they want to focus most of their energy. And did Skydio just raise a Series D? Or mm -hmm. I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, they raised, they raised, I think, what, $170 million? But I think Parrot and Skydio, it's interesting, right? Because they're, they're 
it, it really looks like they're moving away from the consumer drone market and they're focusing on uh, first responders and military and defense because one, less competition, two, uh, higher margins. Uh, you could almost see that as an indication that they're not really able to compete with DJI in a far more competitive world, uh, the consumer drone world. So. Uh, also with Skydio, Skydio is not really into controlling your drone, it's all about flying the drone uh, autonomously and if you look at FPV, FPV is the opposite of that, right? I mean you're at the sticks, you're the one flying, it's it's manual and it's not at all autonomy. So I, I don't even know if Skydio would entertain going into that, uh, that world. I don't know, I don't think they would and if they were to try, I'm not even sure if they would make it. And they've made it pretty clear in some of the articles that they published that, uh, like you said, they're more interested in the autonomous side of things where the pilot is uh, is an observer rather than uh, an active participant. And uh, and I, so I think we'll see, like you said, you know, everybody's going to kind of pick their market going forward where you have schedule that's going to focus on that. And then DJI will continue doing what they do with the consumer drones, uh, especially with the limitations they have in place right now with the government contract. So um, I, I think that's, uh, that's, that's a clear indication of what's going to happen. So. Uh, we, we have to uh, unfortunately wrap it up. I love this conversation, but uh, I have uh, have another meeting in, in four minutes that I need to get to. So uh, uh, this was awesome. I, I really I, this this was a really good first episode. Uh, I think uh, we definitely have a lot more of this coming up and uh, sharing our point of view. Was there anything else you guys wanted to uh, mention in this uh, section before we end end this episode? No, not that I can think of off the top of my head, but we have a lot of a lot to cover in the future. <laughs> yes, we do. Yeah, thanks for for having us on the show, Greg. I mean, I know you said early uh, or in the beginning that this was going to be a fifteen or twenty minute episode. Uh, I'm looking at my recorder here. I think we're coming up close to an hour, so uh, not bad at all for a first podcast. Uh, I truly enjoy being part of this conversation, and I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the next episode. I'm excited. I'm really excited. Well. Uh, yeah. Thank you both. Uh, we will uh, be in touch and we will schedule the next one. So for those of you listening, make sure you subscribe, do whatever you do. Leave your comments if you have a place to leave comments. And uh, we will see you guys on the next uh, iteration.